0: Welcome to MABJ's newest uh, podcast series, Tips from the Field. I'm Omer Youssef, the treasurer for the Memphis Association of Black Journalists. We're the Memphis affiliate for the National Association of Black Journalists, and I'm your host for today's podcast. Today, we'll be looking at uh, covering education in Memphis during the COVID-19 pandemic, and we've got the best person uh, to talk about this with, Laura Cabetta from Chalkbeat. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here
1: thanks for having me.
0: So uh, a lot I want to get uh, talk with you about today, but uh, just first off, just how has it been obviously covering all the twists and turns in education over the past few months with a uh, coronavirus?
1: It's been a lot for sure. There's always something happening, and there's only so much time in a day. so it's just constant um, because that is the nature of the past nine months of this year.
0: So uh, we'll talk plenty about that but before we get into more about the the present I do want to kind of talk about the past. Just if you could tell us how you kind of got interested in journalism what kind of spurred you on just kind of give us a little bit of your backstory before uh, you got to Chalkbeat.
1: Sure yeah I first was introduced to journalism when I was 10 and I was thumbing through a magazine uh, and My mom was trying to throw out some magazines, so she recruited me and my sister to help her do that, and there was one that talked about, like, what journalists do, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever because you get to write and talk to people, and that just sounded fun, so that was kind of my first introduction, and uh, later on, I didn't do anything really as far as, like, with my, in my high school, um, uh, we had, I think, a paper, but It was run by the yearbook lady and the yearbook lady was kind of scary to me. So I just didn't even bother. (laughs) I went on to um, University of Missouri School of Journalism um, and from there was uh, reporting in uh, Richmond, Virginia for a few years before coming to Chalkbeat.
0: So Chalkbeat is still a fairly new news outlet kind of in the grand scheme of things. Just tell us a little bit about that and how you first heard of Chalkbeat, I guess, as far as when you were um, trying to look for that next step.
1: Yeah, so Chalkbeat is a nonprofit news organization, um, and we cover uh, efforts to improve schools across the nation. We are now in eight locations, um, including Memphis, obviously, and um, I was introduced to it um, through uh, just some folks that I knew that worked uh, at Chalkbeat at the time, and um, when the opening uh, happened here, um, you know, just kind of started the conversation to see what it might look like. I wasn't really at a point where I thought I would want to move on from where I was, but the, the lore of um, being able to specialize in one topic and um, being able to stay in the South was really important to me, um, and so uh, so that's that's kind of how I ended up here.
0: So uh, just to kind of clarify, where were you before you ended up going to and What were you covering?
1: Um, I was a staff writer at the Richmond Times-Dispatch in Virginia, and I was um, covering a mix of local government, uh, sometimes schools, um, and I also uh, restarted the religion beat there, um, and it was a lot. And so uh, that was part of the lure of being able to to, uh, report on one topic.
0: Was it was education your preference necessarily, or was it just the fact that hey, I was covering all these different types of things before, and now I can just focus on this one beat? It didn't necessarily matter. Was education like a top of your list of things you wanted to cover?
1: Um, no, it wasn't on the top of my list. But I think the um, the model of chalkbeat uh, and um, in a to join a place that was growing um, was uh, definitely attractive. Um, but I, education itself wasn't what drew me to to do this but since then it's been just a really fun ride to get to know more about education prior to uh coming to Chalky, i didn't really know what a charter school was cuz it's it's not really a thing in virginia and so and that's where i grew up and so um so yeah I've come a long way since then <laughs> <laughs>
0: What is what is that like? Because, I mean, when I was in Jackson, I had to cover so many different beats, too. I was covering education, government, politics, business, and all these other things. Just What was that like when you were, like, starting out and you were having to cover all these beats?
1: It was always feeling like there was nothing I was making a lot of progress on, um, and which is just a really uh, crippling feeling when you're trying to, like – uh, carve your niche out, and part of like you know is is you do need to try a few different things before you realize like oh like this is something I really am passionate about. But um, in the in that process, it can be really really tiring. And so, um, and I think at that point, I my preference probably would have been to eventually just be doing religion reporting because. When I had done one uh, religion story, I got a lot of emails and phone calls from readers saying, "Like, oh, is the religion beat coming back?" Is you know, and so that's kind of what started uh, doing that again. But that was really more a passion project on top of the or, the beats I was already assigned, and um, just didn't quite make it to the point where I could um, focus on that solely.
0: So you get to Beat. and were you always, were you at Memphis from the start of your time at Chalkbeat? Did you or? Yeah, anywhere? just just
1: in Memphis. Um, we are the the loan bureau of the South, so um, hopefully there'll be more in the near future. But so far, Memphis is the only place in the South.
0: Have you had you been to Memphis before you started with Chalkbeat? Any past interactions before then? Did you what were your impressions?
1: Um, yeah, I visited Memphis once because I had a friend from college who was living here, and um, was here for like a long weekend, and just was really impressed. I really loved. Uh, just the I don't know, just the feel of Memphis um, and the communities that were here, and you know, obviously it was a, it was a quick uh, uh time to get first impressions, so but it was a really really good first impression.
0: So you get you get to Chalkbeat, you get to Memphis. Obviously, education in Memphis is constantly changing. What was it, what was it like? Um, what were some of your first experiences when you were covering education coming starting out in Memphis?
1: Well, I came in in 2016, and um, a lot of the conversations at that time were about school closures, possibly having another wave of school closures, um, which was a really just hard topic uh, to tackle because the school closures just have such huge ripple effects on communities, and um, you know, and on and on districts' side, you know, it's, it's a huge ripple effect on how they see how they can. Uh, best use their resources and that sort of thing, and so being able to report report on um, on that was uh, was really interesting. in coming during that time, um, and one of the things that kind of kept uh, I guess coming up was about you know is it um, you know looking at a, a school building's enrollment, their their maintenance, and uh, also their test scores, and so. But there was never really a whole lot of transparency around that of like, okay, well, then what are the schools that are like most at risk for being closed? And so one of uh, my first stories uh, to kind of um, introduce, I guess, what chalkbeat was about in that conversation was you know gathering all the data and those three criteria from schools. and being like, okay, well, this is the the criteria the district is saying, and here are the schools that fit that criteria, because a lot of people were scrambling for uh, more transparency and more um, uh, information so that they can know how to advocate for themselves. Um, and so that was uh, you know really important uh, for me to be able to help bridge that gap between information that people wanted and they didn't have
0: so obviously when you joined Chalkbeat it was still fairly new what is it like when you're trying to I guess tell people about your new outlet at the same time while also still trying to do your job like was it a lot of you were having to kind of explain what Chalkbeat was on the front end when you were trying to do these stories what was that process like for you?
1: Oh, for sure. My second day on my job, I was talking to someone, and they were like, "I don't know if I trust y'all. I see on your website that y'all are supported by foundations, and they have agendas, and this, that, and the other." And so, uh, from you know, literally day two, I was you know. Having to kind of explain um, how our funding models work and how um, the protections are in place to be able to not have uh, direct influence over what we write, but basically that you know, the big foundations that support us, whether locally or nationally, they do write the check, but then they do not get input on what we write about. And so, being able to explain that to people and also point them towards our coverage, say, like, you know assess for yourself, do you think this is influenced by these people that you're um, worried about, um, was was a really big part of um, building trust.
0: So Chalkby covers public and charter schools only in Memphis. Do I have that right?
1: Yes. Um, so, I mean, as far as like institutions go, I mean, it, Shelby County Schools being the biggest one, but also uh, the charter schools that are under Shelby County Schools and the
0: Achievement School District. But we also so, cover
1: state policy, but uh, that's my colleague in Nashville.
0: So, what is it like being a black reporter covering education in Memphis? Like during this time, like what is what is that like? I guess over the past few years, what is that like? What has that been like?
1: What's been really important to me as a black reporter covering education in Memphis is to make sure that the um, disparities that are um, are apparent in education by race is like noted as context, because that is important to know. Um, And also um, weaving in a lot of the historical context of um, decisions that were motivated by racism or um, uh, other things that still have impact today um, is important. And I think there there are some pockets that know that history and understand it, but Um, It's definitely not like full-scale knowledge, you know, like commonly accessible. And so I I just think that's really important to include in reporting.
0: How did you bridge that gap? What advice would you give to other journalists who are going to start a new beat and don't necessarily know, I guess, where to find that historical, like what worked for you and what would you tell others?
1: I think a lot of it was as I was getting to know the beat uh, just Asking folks that I would talk to, like, where I can go to understand how things are the way they are, um, because a lot of times you can just kind of gloss over it and just kind of be like, oh, that's kind of how it is. And it's like, no, no, no but why is it the way it is? And being able to explain that to people, um, because I think often, like, yes, it is a very complex um uh system to navigate for a lot of people but um that doesn't mean it's not possible to break it down and uh you know basically be like these are the parts that have built it over decades
0: how do you approach telling readers that like as far as like trying to make it in a way that they can understand How, how as a reporter and i guess as a writer how do you approach that
1: i i approach it in i guess I have really great editors that ask really great questions because uh, so a lot of times they're the ones that are in my head of like, but explain this to a parent who like, you know, hasn't spent, you know, hours, you know, reading the things that you have. Um, and so a lot of it is having those kind of questions in my head as I'm writing um, and just taking that extra step to be like, okay, like, you know, even if I wrote it like this and I understand it, there might be some you know gaps in kind of, steps of, like, how did you get from point A to point B, and just making sure that that's clear and not any room for misinterpretation.
0: Was there a moment in the past four years that you were like, I've, you know, I'm figuring this out, like, that moment where you kind of thought maybe you, like, arrived or figured things out? Did that, did you have a moment like that? Oh, absolutely not. Um,
1: <laughs> to this day, I am still figuring it out, and, um, and that's okay, that it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I want to talk to you, of course, about the pandemic. Just what was it like before? And then I guess what kind I guess, like kind of like March is kind of when everything really changed. When did you, I guess, first notice it? And how did you like try to approach your reporting after that?
1: So you're talking about how, how our reporting shifted since March? Right. Yes. Um. Well, I think the biggest indicator that, uh, change was a coming was um, when the staff member at uh, Treadwell El- elementary or middle school, one or the other um, had tested positive And, you know, it was kind of the, the moment where it's like, okay, this is um, an impact on schools and how uh, parents and educators, um, you know, it, it kind of came to their front door, you know, in a sense, because at that time it was really the kind of like clusters in New York and, and, you know, really big cities and it wasn't super felt here. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the issues that were apparent then I think just kept growing then, uh, after that. So for example, um, at Treadwell is a huge, um, uh, Hispanic community there. And a lot of the parents, um, only speak Spanish. And, uh, that first, uh, couple of days um, as they were trying to figure out what was going to be safe, um, you know, the, the parents didn't get the messages in Spanish. And so um, all they heard was COVID-19. And so they heard that one and they're like, oh, <laughs> but didn't really understand what else was going on. So parents were showing up at the school door um, trying to get more info, information from teachers um, who also didn't know a whole lot and then also um, a couple of days later we reported about um, how already standing um, issues with uh, cleanliness in, in Memphis schools was kind of exacerbated by um, that case being identified there um, it wasn't anything new you know a lot of people had been you um, Uh, raising issues about cleanliness in schools and so it was there was a lot of skepticism of whether um, enhanced protocols would actually be put in place and and what that could mean you know and how that would mean more now Um, so yeah that that was kind of the the first indication of like okay this is this is something.
0: What was it like I guess, covering Shelby County Schools decision to like put off like the reopening day and then they eventually close. And then, of course, you get into the summer and you have to report on kind of all these other changes. And what was what was that like when you're having to cover a school district that's trying to figure out kind of in real time what to do?
1: Well, I mean, it wasn't necessarily any different from any other types of decisions that districts make. Um, It just was more of those decisions and, you know, just making sure that um, people's questions were answered. Um, cause there is, you know, often a gap between the information that, uh, institutions put out and, um, what people actually have questions on. And so being able to listen, um, to folks and hear like, oh, like this is, um, what I actually need to know, um, and making sure that they're, they have access to that information.
0: Um, I want to also get into this. Chalkbeat also has a very critical community component to it. Could you kind of just tell us about how critical that's been to Chalkbeat specifically, I guess, in Memphis over the past few years?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So a lot of what um, our philosophy is when it comes to reporting is to have a kind of continual feedback loop with um, the communities in Memphis. Um, and, Sometimes that looks like, um, like we did a couple of weeks ago, have a, a reader call out with a Google form saying, like, hey, parents, like, how is virtual learning going for you? Um, and hearing their experiences directly, um, which kind of widens the net beyond just kind of like, you know, I know this person through this person, you know, it's 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 a much more um, uh, wider net to to um, to cast, to be able to get more diverse perspectives in. Um, and, you know, before, uh, before in-person meetings were, uh, all canceled, um, we would have office hours, um, uh, usually every month, every other month, um, where we would go to different places and neighborhoods to just, um, post up for a couple of hours, whether it's at like an existing community event or just a place where like a lot of people gather and to hear what issues, education issues are important to them and um, how we can meet their information needs better. Um, or just if they just had feedback on existing stories that we've already uh, put out there just to open the door and make people aware of like, yeah, we're, we're listening and um, we want to be able to be responsive to your needs.
0: As a neighborhood reporter myself, I value that so much because I feel like getting that, filling that gap so is so critical and to really trying to listen to what they have to say about what's going on in their communities how do you what are some ways that that's impacted your reporting directly
1: i mean there there's i mean there's always stories from like whether it was those office hours or those call outs that you know just prompted more questions to officials or um you know fostered relationships to hear more of like what's important to them and and that turns into stories that we write so i mean it's a it's a pretty straight line from you know hearing to Uh, reporting.
0: What's the biggest difference for you now four years into your time at Chalkbeat versus like when you were getting started like what's the biggest change that you've noticed I guess within yourself as far as being a reporter?
1: I think when it comes to um, community building in that sense of um, you know I think one of the biggest changes like for me professionally is like usually with uh like print and digital is, this is not usually the case. But like, you know, my Facebook pretty much now is mostly I use for work. Like it's a little bit personal too, but like Memphis is such a Facebook town and, you know, people um are constantly talking about these kind of issues. Um and so it was important to me to make sure that I had um you know access to hear those conversations and um and just kind of like Uh, solidifying my, uh, I don't know, just stance or philosophy of being a community member first and then a journalist and how that um, just kind of um, reprioritizes how I um, interact with people and um, just, it makes, it makes the journalism better.
0: Uh, On a more personal note, I guess, how do you, I guess, kind of, get away from the, like, the daily grind of, you know, being a reporter during the pandemic with all these with during this unprecedented time, like what are some things that you've done that kind of helped you um, personally, I guess, over the past few months?
1: Um, I would say protecting rest. Um, that has been my mantra <laughs> for several months now of just like, you know, just because I might have, a sliver of free time. That doesn't mean it's, it's available time. (laughs) It could be, you know, that I'm just, I just need to unplug for a little bit and, um, you know, and just like recognizing, um, you know, how to, I don't know, just lean on your team to be like, okay, like, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. You know, can we help each other out here Um, so that we are all able to, you know, basically live or thrive to another day.
0: <laughs> what are some things or people that have like helped you along in your career? Like, like what, who are those people or those resources that have like really helped you along?
1: I mean, all of, all of the people that I've worked with, um, have always, um, been, um, willing to lend a hand or, uh, some advice. Um, I think being, uh, You know, a member of an ABJ and having that kind of network, um, being a member of Education Writers Association for like kind of beat specific colleagues um, has been invaluable to be able to lean on their, um, you know, just kind of perspectives and that sort of thing. Um, You know, even uh, professors from my time in college that that I still keep in contact with to, you know, lean on for um, kind of career advice and that sort of thing.
0: What advice would you give to journalists that are kind of starting out now, whether they're just graduating from college or maybe they're in their first job out of college? What advice would you give to them about how to kind of move forward now, especially for um, those young Black reporters out there?
1: I would just say, you know, to be able to stay true to the, the things that you want to um, write about and know um, and uh And make sacrifices for that to happen.
0: Laura, thank you so much for being on the MABJ Tips from the Field podcast. This has been Omer Yusuf, treasurer with the Memphis Association of Black Journalists. Uh, Thank you all for listening.